You are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. So today we're in week two of part two of our series in the book of Ephesians called Walk Worthy of the Call. And um, we're in Ephesians chapter four. And last week we talked about unity in the body of Christ. And we heard seven reasons for unity, seven reasons for unity that Paul gives. And he says, we need to be unified because there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one faith, there's one baptism and one father. So seven reasons. And we were challenged that we're not called to create unity, but rather we're called to keep the unity. God is the one who creates the unity. And our job is to guard and protect what is a work of his spirit. But that requires work on our part, which is why Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Today, I wanna talk to you about maturity in the body of Christ. Maturity in the body of Christ, or really it could be called maturing in the body of Christ. Now, the benefit of our diversity is it helps us mature. But maturity in Christ is the end goal. Diversity is not the end goal. Diversity is one of the ways that helps us get towards the end goal. One of the problems that happens in some churches today and in even different workplaces is that we can make diversity the ultimate end. And oftentimes when we aim at diversity as the ultimate end, we can actually unintentionally create even more division. Diversity is good like many things, but it can become an idol if we make it the primary thing above everything. And Paul's teaching us here that diversity is a gift from Christ, but it happens best and it's supposed to happen under the Lordship of Christ, where Jesus is the head of the church. Now this week, Paul is gonna help us see how God uses our different personalities and giftings to help build up the body of Christ. And just like you don't pick your background and you don't pick your race, you also don't pick what your spiritual gift is, right? God has designed it and he has picked what that would be for you. And so the question is whether you are going to believe his word that you have a role to play. The passage here today says that we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. And you may have been in some spaces before in your life where your gifts were not welcome, where your wiring wasn't received, where you didn't have a role to play. But in the body of Christ, the scripture says that we all have a role to play. Each of you have a contribution to make, no matter how big or small that contribution must seem. Is anybody with me today as I'm sharing this? Paul tells us very clearly that the point of all this diversity, the point of these gifts, the point of keeping the unity is, is to help mature us in Christ so that we become more like Christ. That's the business that we're in as a church. We are in the maturing business, right? We're, we're, we're not in the building business. 
We're not in the marketing business. We're not in the finance business. We're not in the policy or healthcare business. We are in the maturing business. And our job as a church is to help you mature in Christ. And of course, churches have to have buildings and raise finances and have websites and speak to the issues of the day, but that should all be in service of helping more people meet and follow Jesus at an even deeper level. So God wants to mature you, whatever stage of life you're in, wherever your relationship with God is, whether you're just exploring what it means to be a Christ follower. I want you to know today you've picked a great day to be here and this is a great church to explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So don't get tripped up by all the words I might use today. I want you to know you're welcome in this place. We started this church to help reach people that have the exact same questions that you have today. So some of us are just exploring. Some of, some of you have been walking with Christ for decades and he wants to mature you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to mature you. Right? It's for all of us. He wants, he wants to mature you. Maturity means to grow or to develop, to grow or to develop. And in the spiritual sense, we are to mature until we are perfect or complete in Christ. And we know that is a lifelong process that won't fully happen until Jesus returns or we meet him face to face. This maturing happens in the context of community. We can't mature in isolation alone. God is meant for us to do that in community in context of the collective calling, the eternal calling that we all share. And so the question this morning then is, how do we mature? How do we mature? Well, there's many ways we mature. In fact, we could do a whole sermon series, a whole, a whole year, 52 ways to mature in Christ, biblical reasons. But Paul gives us three ways that we become more like Christ in our passage. We're in verses seven to 16 this morning of chapter four. Three marks of maturity. The first one is to receive your gifts. The second is to know the truth. And the third thing is to speak the truth in love. So let's start with the first one which is to receive your gifts. Paul starts this section of this passage in verse seven. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. In the charter of the Church of the Savior, which was a church started right down the road from us here in Adams Morgan, just, across, just a, a few blocks away, it was started in the early 1950s by a man named Gordon Cosby. Um, he mentored me for a few years before he passed in his mid-90s, um, just as we were starting the district church. But in their charter as a church, this verse, um, it, it really affirms this verse in a wonderful way. It says this, on the ship of the church, there are no passengers. All are members of the crew. You are a member of the crew of this ship called the local church. You're not just a passenger. And if there's anything I want you to hear today, it is that you have a role to play in God's church. You have a role to play in the local church. You have a role to play right here at this church. It's not a mistake that you're here. And if you don't involve yourself and use your spiritual gift, not only will you suffer spiritually, 
but we will all not reach our full potential. And so I'm putting you on notice today that today is not one of those cute sermons that makes you think really deeply and then philosophize over it for the next few months. This message in this whole section of Ephesians is meant to move us to action, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And it says to each one of us, grace has been given. Grace is, is kindness, it's favor, it's unmerited, meaning you didn't earn it. And it's expressed best through Jesus Christ and the way that he has loved us and pursued us. It says here that grace has been given to each one. And so the challenge is that you must recognize the spiritual gift that God has given you. And that starts with you recognizing that you are worthy to receive a gift. That you are worthy to receive. That's what makes it a gift is because actually none of us are worthy. God is the one who makes us worthy. And so we cancel any thoughts that any of you might have that makes you think that you're not worthy to serve in the body of Christ that you're not worthy to receive a spiritual gift that can make a contribution to the body of Christ. It says here that these gifts are given according to how Christ apportioned it. In other words, he's the distributor of the gifts. It's up to him. And then the next few verses talks about how, how Jesus ascended on high. He took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. It's a, it's a reference to Psalm 68. And if you go to the online pre-recorded version, you can get a breakdown of verses eight to 11, but I realize our time is short. So I'm gonna skip ahead to verse 11, but that content is online if you want it. But the whole, the whole point of this whole passage, starting in verse one, is Paul's trying to help us to understand how we keep the unity that Christ has already established. And then he gives us some examples of how God does this. In verse 11, he says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I think the King James says, or how I memorize it, Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Spiritual gifts are at the heart of God's strategy for building his church. They're at the heart of God's strategy for building his church. And if you wanna get a more exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, look at Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those are a list of the spiritual gifts. And here in Ephesians chapter four, we get a list of what are the leadership gifts and the leadership offices that God creates to help build his church. And the first one is apostle. Apostles are pioneers. Um, they, they, they pioneer new works to advance the kingdom. These are, these are visionaries. They're strategists. They, they start new churches and new ministries and new groups and new teams. They figure out how to secure the resources and install the leaders and ensure things like doctrine are aligned to the word of God and to the DNA. So they lay foundations. The workplace term here is entrepreneur, right? In the business world, they're entrepreneurs or apostles. Um, but the spiritual term is, is apostle. The next one is prophet. A prophet is one who speaks for God, one who speaks for God in the church, also in society. 
but speaking God's truth. And in the church, it's oftentimes happens through words of encouragement, through words of knowledge. And I love how our church has grown over this last year in the prophetic. The prayer team under the leadership of Pastor Amy has really grown in this area of, of God, how do we hear from you? And how do we speak a word into somebody's heart or mind just at the right time. There's so many testimonies of, of you who have been prayed for. You've heard a word, you, you've, you've uh, seen an image just at the right time that helped you right when you were on the line of that relationship, right when you were battling sickness, right when you were figuring out, uh, trying to discern in your workplace what to do. And God spoke a word and it was the encouragement that you needed to hear that you're not alone, that God sees. God uses prophets to help us realize that we're not alone and he still speaks today. But we see that God also sends out prophets from the church to speak for God in society. We see many of the Old Testament prophets spoke for God. They spoke truth to power to the kings. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrate this weekend is a great example of a prophet, he was a minister that God used as a prophet, not only in the church, but also in society. And I wanna share one of my favorite quotes from him, which is a good reminder for us in this election season that we're embarking on. He says this, the church must be reminded that it is not the master of the state. In other words, we're not trying in 2024 to take over the government as a church and create a theocracy and advance the kingdom from the top down. That's not the Bible. <laughs> Neither are we to be the servant of the state. In other words, we're not just supposed to endlessly start social ministries to clean up bad social policy. But he says, we must be conscience of the state. He says, it must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. If the church, he says, does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. And so we as the church, by our very nature of how we exist are to be prophetic to this culture and world that we have been called out from, but ultimately called to serve. And so our relationship with, with the world is so important. And so many churches and even pastors and church leaders get confused in election season around that. Not the master of the state, not the servant of the state, but we are to be the conscience of the state, what Dr. King often calls prophetic interrogators. So prophets, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists. Evangelists are always sharing good news and inviting people into the church. Evangelists keep us externally focus. Your heart breaks for the person that's not in this room right now. Your heart breaks that there's an empty seat next to you. And it, it bugs you when you come into spaces and there's church and like you just know that that would not, like whatever was said would not translate to the person, to your neighbor who you just brought. It just bugs you and you realize like I'm having to sit in there next to him and like translate like a whole nother language. And my heart is for the people who are not in the church that God has called to be in the church. And so you're praying for the loss, you're active in sharing your faith. The workplace um, analogy of, of, of this role of an evangelist is like a storyteller, right? People who work in, in marketing and social media are, 
uh, or just in media are often like that, just trying to tell a story, invite other people into it. The next one is um, a pastor. So the first three, apostle, prophet, evangelist, are really about pioneering and growing the kingdom. But the next two really focus on deepening what God is doing in people's life. It's, it's, it's going deep rather than wide. And so a pastor does that. The word in the New Testament that's used for pastor is shepherd. And, and that's what pastors do. They shepherd and care for God's people. And they understand that maturity takes time. And yet they have the gentleness and patience to, to understand that it takes time to go deep. Shepherds and pastors care about the unity of the church, the cohesion that happens among us. They are, they're soul healers. So the, the professional term for this is like a counselor or a social worker, those of you who work in the care professions. And then finally, Paul says that God has given some to be teachers and teachers help explain deep truths in accessible ways. They're like pastors and shepherds in, in the sense that they're in it for the long haul. And they have the patience to understand that learning deep truths takes time. In fact, it takes a lifetime. And we have certain of these, like we understand like teachers, like, oh yeah, we have that role in society. Like we understand teachers. We understand pastors in the church. But one of the things that happens is that we put all pastors in this category of shepherds. And of course, as pastors, we're called to shepherd, but I'm not like the most gifted shepherd in, on our pastoral staff. Just not, just confession, right? Um, but God has arranged everything as he sees fit. Why? To help build up the body of Christ, to help guard the unity. And so we're all working towards oneness from different angles. And so we see certain things like, certain things like I'll just miss and not see, but Pastor Kevin will see it, or Pastor Brian will see it, or Pastor Amy will see it. And the same thing happens with our whole staff and in life groups and as you roll out throughout the church. Now, sadly, many churches believe that the office of the apostle, the office of the prophet, and the office of the evangelist ceased with the early church. That it was just like, the early apostles, and then, it, and then it stopped. Or there are churches today that do believe in what is, this is often called the fivefold. They believe in the fivefold, but they only value one or two of these. And the problem when you have some of these in operation and not others is that you don't fully mature as a church. So for example, if, if the church has apostles and prophets, but no shepherds, People will love the strategy and the risk-taking, but they will feel unnurtured over time. In other words, you will have a big back door to the church. Or if all you have are shepherds and teachers, but you have no apostles and evangelists, you will nurture the sheep, you will create great systems and processes, but you will eventually shut the front door of the church. And so the good news is that Jesus is our perfect example of the fivefold. He is an apostle. He is a prophet. He is an evangelist. He is a pastor and he is a teacher. His life and ministry embody them all. So Paul's saying that, that God has given the fivefold leadership gifts and offices. Why? Verse 12, to equip, somebody say to equip, to equip his people for works 
of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Notice that it doesn't say so that the pastors and the leaders can do all the work. No, these leadership gifts and offices are here so that we can mobilize all of us to collectively do the work, to unlock the gifts that are in you. And so my job as someone who's wired as an apostle, my job is to cast a big enough vision for our church that it would require the participation of 100% of us. Because if I don't do that, then the business that we're in is the entertainment business or the sports business, right? Where, where, where we entertain and you watch and spectate. But that's not what the scripture calls us to do. That my job is to cast a big enough vision that's from God that would require the participation of all of us using all of the spiritual gifts that God has given us to reach this city for Christ. The, the word equip here, it's the only time it's actually used in the New Testament. I'm a little geeked out on the word study on this this week. But equip means to prepare something for its given purpose. It's to prepare something for its given purpose. It's, it's to perfect it. And so the image here is, is, that's, that's often used is a collection of furniture. Like, you're the piece of furniture. It looks wonderful. You look wonderful, by the way. It, it looks wonderful. The house, it's like right when you move into the house and you've got, you got all this, brand, like I know none of us when we move into the house have brand new furniture, but just imagine if you had brand new furniture all throughout the house, but it's all over the place and it doesn't live into its given purpose until it has been arranged properly. Leaders are to arrange the furniture so that each piece can be used for its creative, created purpose in a way that benefits all of us. And Paul here says that the purpose of the gifts is twofold. It's to equip the saints, that's all of us. King James Version says saints, not just people, saints. Saints aren't just like certain people that the Catholic church said that they're saints. No, you are a saint. The New Testament, the letters are written to the saints in Christ Jesus. If you have given yourself to Jesus, you are a saint in Christ Jesus, right? We all don't have all the gifts. We all don't have all the leadership gifts, but we all are saints in Christ Jesus. So our role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry in order to, the second part is to build up the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. Now, some of you remember who were here last fall that we did an anonymous all church survey last fall and almost 700 of you filled it out. So thank you for doing that. If you filled that out, a few highlights, there was a lot of things that didn't surprise us because we've done these surveys in years past. Uh, almost 80% of the church is in their twenties or thirties. So it's remaining a young church, even though we're becoming more multi-generational love, love this next gen, the most unchurched demographic of America, by the way. So we can celebrate that here. Amen. Um, so uh, one, one in two of you are married. So you walk, walk and you're like, man, everybody's married. No, half, only half of you are married, okay? Um, one in four of you have kids. So one in four of you have kids. Uh, you, are, you guys still are very like overly educated. Uh, almost 60% have at least a master's degree, which is crazy. 
um, very increasingly diverse as a church. Uh, we've talked about that in other spaces. Um, so e- each year we continue to be more and more diverse. But the thing that stood out to us the most from this survey, which was interesting, is that half the church has been here less than two years. Half the church has been here less than two years. And I actually compared notes with a few other pastor friends and they're like, oh yeah, that's consistent of every other city church. COVID just did something to city churches. And so there's just been a lot of, of, um, of change, people moving away, people coming. And so it's like, we sit here, we're like, hey guys, we're in this season called multiply. And you're like, what is that? It's like, that's just like the offering? What, what is multiply? What? And it's like, no, we, we didn't even, it wasn't even two years ago when we kicked it off. But God has brought so many of you into the church and we praise God for that. And the, then the result that I wanna share with you as it relates to our passage today is this survey question. I think we have it on the screen. Uh, we can put it up. Yeah, so it says this, on, on average, how often do you volunteer in any capacity at the district church, either on a ministry team, at a Sunday service, or at an outreach event? And so the, the first one says every week, so almost 9% of you serve every week, and 20, almost 27% serve one to two times a month, and about 14% serve one to two times a semester. Can we celebrate all of our volunteers in the church? Like we literally couldn't do what we're doing uh, without you, like honestly. Like we would never be able to step into the vision that God um, has called us to be. Now, you'll see that the top part uh, is 50, just over 50% um, of you all said that uh, you don't volunteer at all at any point throughout the year. And uh, Google, by the way, created this chart automatically. Google does a lot of things automatically. So it spit out. And I just want you to know that Google determined these colors. And so the green is the biggest. And I believe that Google is being prophetic to each of you here today and saying that you have the green light to serve in 2024. We, we, but in all honesty, like we, we can't be, and I understand some of you are new. So some of you, it, it's, it's on us. Like some of us have not, prov- on us as leaders, have not provided spaces for you to step into or, or shared the urgency or helped you discover what your spiritual gifts is. So I'm not saying that's all on you guys. It's, all, it's on us too. But I would love to close that gap in 2024 because I think it's connected to how we all mature spiritually and collectively. And so we are to build the body of Christ, right? We've been given gifts to build up the body of Christ. To what end then? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, that's the oneness, that's this big theme in the first half of Ephesians 4, until we reach the unity of the faith, we can put uh, Ephesians 4, 13 up, and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We praise God for teachers that help increase our knowledge, Right? knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. That means to grow, to develop, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, we tend to overestimate what we can do by ourselves and underestimate what we can do collectively. We can accomplish way more together than we think we can. It's just true. And so what Paul is saying here in in this passage, he's saying that when leaders lead and when people serve and when the body of Christ is built up, 
He says, these things happen. And what he does next in, the, in, in verse 14, he, he's saying when, when all that happens, then that's what leads to our maturity. And then he's like, I don't really know if you captured the whole definition of maturity. So let me just give you its opposite. What does it mean to be immature? And he says, so we wanna mature, verse 14. So then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul's saying here that we all begin the Christian life as infants spiritually. That's how we all start. Right Now we've been brought out of the world in an instant. That's the power of salvation. He rescues us from our past and from the ways of this world and he places us in God's church. But the process, that, that's not gradual. But the process of becoming more like Jesus takes time. In fact, it takes a lifetime. And Paul equates it here to like, to, it's like growing up biologically. Start as an infant, then you're a toddler, then you're a young kid, then you're a teenager, then you're a young adult, and then you're an adult, and then you eventually, hopefully, become a mature adult. But we start as infants spiritually. And we can think that because someone is powerful in society, that they will be powerful in the church spiritually. God can use their gifts from out there in the church as well, but we can confuse those things But the reality is all of us, no matter what our resume, no matter how accomplished and educated you are, you begin your life in Christ as an infant spiritually, which means that you need milk, Paul says. You you, you need milk to, to start. Paul says that infants in Christ have two main tendencies. The first is that they're unstable. This is his word, uh, that they're unstable, tossed back and forth. You know, they have these elaborate car seats now. Right, and you put your young children in there. Why? Because some of you are reckless drivers here. That's why I have cameras all over the city. And, and it's so when you take one of those turns, your, your, your child or your baby won't get whiplash or that God forbid you get in an accident and they will be protected. Why? Because children are unstable. The second thing he says that they are is that they lack self-control, especially toddlers. Anybody have a toddler at home right now? Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Toddlers are impulsive and moody, right? They can change from one extreme to another at the drop of a dime. And here's the deal. Children can't always help it. That's why they call it the terrible twos, right? Because you have all these feelings, but you don't have words to know how to express it. And so it just comes out in a different way. But Paul's point here is that someone who has been a Christian for, uh, for some time now shouldn't be unstable and lacking in self-control. You should be mature and discerning, particularly as it relates to your relationship with the world. You shouldn't be tossed back and forth by all the philosophies and worldviews of the day. The reels and the shorts, we praise God, they, they make me laugh. And some of them are like, I hear somebody articulate a, a biblical truth. I'm like, that took me two hours to say. God gifted you for that, praise God. But, but there's also a lot of bad stuff out there. And, you, and you're, you're like, 
You're like reading it and you're like, what, what? Or you're, you're listening to it and you're like, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And then there's, there's a lie in the middle of that. And if we're not mature and discerning, we can miss that lie and we can, that can get a, a foothold in us. And so we have to be discerning. And, and this is especially true right now because there's a lot of misinformation out there and it spreads like a cancer. And we're sharing stuff before we even know if it's true or not. This can happen with spiritual content as well. And Jesus warns us about this. He says in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, watch out for false prophets. Notice he didn't say false atheists. He said false prophets. In other words, they're in the church. They're the counterfeit to the fivefold that we just talked about. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. It's been said, the biggest lies often have the most truth. It's also been said, repeat a lie long enough and it will become a truth. We have to be discerning because that's the devil's playbook. He, he's, he's always done that from the beginning. He deceives. Did God really say? Right? And Paul, Paul says this in his letter to the, the, the church in Corinth because false prophets and apostles were starting to roam around the church. And he said this, no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of life. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. And Paul says this in response to all the false prophets and apostles. So maturity, it, maturing, it, it takes time, and, but we have to learn to be more discerning. And so then the question is, how do we respond to the lies? Because we know that there's lies out there. And Paul says in verse 15, this is what we do. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to speak the truth in love. And when we do that, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So a mature Christian speaks the truth in love. And our tendency, but depending on how we were wired and the family system we grew up in, is we tend to emphasize one of those at the exclusion of the other. So we tend to be all love, no truth, all truth, no love. And maturity is, is bringing those together. And, and, and when we bring those together, that's, that's how we begin to, to grow as a body of Christ. So let's just take this on the interpersonal level. So maturity, speaking the truth in love, means that when I have an issue with someone, if Brandon says something hurtful to me, I don't go over and say to John, Brandon said this hard thing to me. Instead, I go directly to Brandon and I say, hey, I wanna be honest with you about how your words made me feel in that situation. And then that gives him the opportunity to help clarify what he said or what he meant and for us to, to reconcile and for us to be on good terms. And if I go to him and it's like, he's no, he's like doubling down. He's like, no, you are stupid, Aaron. I hate your sermons. I don't know, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot, man. You just, usually back there. So I just, I had to get you today. So then, then maybe I need to, maybe, you know, I need to bring John with me and maybe that'll get your attention and help you realize how hurt I am, right? But the whole point is we have to learn how to speak the truth in love. It's way easier to go to somebody else. But when we speak the truth in love, we don't let things fester in our family or in the church. We deal with it maturely. 
right? So it requires us first to know the truth, right? You can't live the truth until you first know it. So that's why we teach the word of God here on Sundays. That's why we help equip you to discuss the word of God in your life groups. That's why we do things like 21 days of prayer and fasting. The prayer guide's all based on scripture. That's why I'm going with several men through the Bible in a year because we wanna know the word of God. And we know that Jesus is truth and his spirit leads us to truth. So, so, so we, we know what truth is, but we gotta know it. We gotta know how to apply it today. And this is becoming increasingly important because research shows that 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview, 4%. I don't think it's much better for millennials or Gen X, so don't judge Gen Z, okay? But a biblical worldview means to have biblical answers to questions like this. Does God exist? How did everything begin? What's wrong with the world? What's the ultimate solution? Who am I? Why am I here? Next slide. Why am I here? Am I living a good life? And what happens after I die? These are important questions and they are foundational questions for your values and how you live your life. And so when we don't know the answers to that, then it leads to very common heresies which are false beliefs, such as all religions are really the same. Or if you are a good person, then you'll go to heaven. Or the Bible is just one of many religious books. Or we need to really just believe in the idea of the resurrection rather than the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. And there's a lot of false prophets out there today. They're all over social media. They're all in academia. They're in seminaries. They're in higher academia. And, and they sound brilliant, but some of them are wolves in sheep's clothing. So it's important for us to know the truth. And I didn't get to say this last week when we were talking about unity, unity but a consistent witness of scripture is that unity does not come at expense of the truth. So a lot of times, well, I'm gonna minimize any conflict I have because I don't want it to break the unity. No, that's not your vision, that's not unity. You should not have to hide the truth to keep unity in the church. That means it's false unity. We don't hurt the unity of the church by telling the truth because what draws us together is a common understanding of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And if we're confused about the foundational elements of unity, we'll never get to true unity. We'll have a surface level unity. Our unity is built around our common understanding that Jesus is the head of the church. That's what Paul says in this passage. He's the head of the church and we are his members. He is the lead apostle, the lead prophet, the lead evangelist, the lead pastor, the lead teacher. So we need to know the truth. And secondly, we need to speak the truth in love. And this is challenging because honestly, most of us, if you survey most of us based on being in DC and how we're wired, most of us are afraid to speak. We're more, we're more comfortable with our witness being confined to our example and actions. But good news can't be confined to only good works. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God and somebody needs to proclaim the word of God. So it's not enough then he says to just speak the truth. The emphasis really here is that it must be done in love. And Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 13, the right before the favorite wedding passage, right? I can speak in the tongues of angels. I could prophesy. I could give everything I have away to the poor. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. It doesn't matter. 
right? And this is, this is not some sentimental, superficial love like our culture defines love. It's a strong love. It's a pure love. This is where you want the best for that person. And so sometimes you realize that it has to be a tough love. To be a good parent means that I have to set boundaries for my kids. Not because I wanna make my life easier, but because I care about their good in the long term. So there's loving boundaries. Sometimes you have to say a word to someone and you do it in love, even though you know it might be hard. It might create a little tension in the short term in the relationship. But over time, you trust that the Holy Spirit will show them that you're actually for their, it's actually, that word was actually about trying to help them, not about you. We need to speak the truth in love. That's what it means to be mature and to walk worthy of the call. Worthy means to give equal weight to things, right? And Paul's saying in Ephesians, give equal weight to doctrine and equal weight to practice. Give equal weight to truth and to love. They must come together. And then the section ends in verse 16. Our band can come forward um, as, I'm, as I'm reading this. Verse 16, it says, from him, the whole body join and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There it is again, love, right? Builds itself in love. Each part does its work, no matter what our age, right? We all have something to do. Now I wanna show you guys a quick video. We're talking about reels today. I wanna show you guys a quick video of a young kid who understands this truth that we're talking about today that every one of us, no matter what our age, has an important role to play in the body of Christ. This clip is him sharing with his mom how excited he is for his role in the Christmas nativity. Check it out. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part? Yeah. Um, Joseph? No. Uh, uh, one of the three wise men? No. What are the innkeepers? No. Call rejected. But it's a classic part? Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then, because... I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, probably um, Joseph and Mary. Oh, my gosh. Were you pleased when they said that? Yeah. And... What did you do? And I was like... I'm a door holder, get in there, let's go, yes. Oh, I love it. I was like, I was like, I'm a door holder, get in there, let's go. <laughs> but like, seriously, may we never lose the wonder of our role. Like seriously, like, right, the role we get to play in the body of Christ. I'm door holder number three. The psalmist says, I would rather be a door holder in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather be a door holder, a doorkeeper in the house of God. Francis Schaeffer says it, says it this way. He says, there's no little people in the kingdom of God and there's no little jobs. We each play a role in creating environments that help people encounter Jesus. And so District Church, may each of us do our part in 2024. Amen? Amen.